Welcome back to Long Covid Doctor, an educational series for sufferers of Long Covid. I'm Dr Tim Robinson, formerly a family doctor, GP for 30 years, now a Long Covid specialist. This is the second part on anxiety and Long Covid. In the first part, I talked about the symptoms, diagnoses and the multiple causes for anxiety and Long Covid. In this part, part two, I'll talk about the treatments, management and outcomes. So check out the references, resources and links to social media in the show notes below if you should wish. So just to say, as I said before, any advice, diagnoses, treatments that I mention should only be considered after discussion with your own doctor or medically qualified professional. So here we go, part two on anxiety and long COVID. And so by way of a brief recap from part one, anxiety in long COVID patients is common. It has a significant impact on their patients, on their life, on your lives. I cover the causes of anxiety in long COVID, both the physical, the disease causes, as well as the impact on long COVID, on mood. Um, and I went into great pains to dispel the disbelief, the, the misbelief that long COVID is a psychological condition. It's certainly not all in the head. There is now an enormous body of research that demonstrates clearly that there are many physical and physiological processes responsible for long COVID symptoms and complications. All this is so valuable for us to be able to beat down those sceptics, those gaslighters who repeatedly say that long COVID is all in the head. So that's the rant over. So back to where I started here in part two. I will cover all the aspects regarding the treatment and management of long COVID anxiety. So how do we manage anxiety in patients with long COVID. Firstly, it's so important that our long COVID patients understand all the reasons, the causes for anxiety that I explained in part one. Next, we must treat other long COVID symptoms, such as uh, mast cell activation symptoms, rashes, food intolerance, diarrhea, congestion. You know, those patients need to have their, their H1, H2 uh, blockers in order to dampen down those symptoms, to clear those other symptoms so that we can focus on the long COVID anxiety symptoms. Other symptoms they might have under other long COVID symptoms, dysautonomia symptoms, so POTS or palpitations, those patients need to be obviously investigated um, and then probably treated with beta blockers. Majority of the patients are helped by beta blockers to deal with those symptoms. Likewise, chest pain, you know, those the COVID grip, those patients would probably really benefit from colchicine. Breathlessness, BPD training, migraine headaches with long COVID, you know, amitriptyline is really effective. Joint aches need to be dealt with medically. Night sweats, maybe a course of HRT may help dampen down those, those night sweats that are due to 
thermoregulation uh, center uh, disruption. Indigestion, maybe a proton pump inhibitor, nausea and vomiting, um, vertigo with, with long COVID, course of prochlorperazine. Um, uh, so those, those other symptoms that are common in long COVID need to be dealt with. As I said, nice, it would be nice to get those put to one side, dealt with, put to one side, so we can focus on anxiety and long COVID. So initially, we've got to think about self-help, mental health approaches. So self-help approaches. So always it's important to really identify the actual worry, the actual anxiety. That's important. To do this, to help that, think about the problem. We've got to maybe write them down. What are those specific worries that you have? And this sort of prevents avoidance and suppression, i.e. gets it out on paper. Um, the thing that you're worrying about. It's preferable to burying those symptoms. With writing your concerns down, the problem is, is sort of exposed. It makes it easier to understand and clarifies the situation. The solution may be obvious, having thought it through, put it on paper, figure it out. But even if the solution isn't obvious, you now have a clearer picture that you can explain better to a trusted carer, a family member, or medical professional. And having seen a medical professional, the patient, the patient should write down the explanation given to refer back to at a later point. When you have more energy, when you can think about them more clearly, go through them slowly and figure it out. Understanding the science and the physiology behind a problem or the symptoms will help patients stop, help stop the patient repeatedly churning those problems over, checking and seeking reassurance. So what are the self-help mind-body strategies? There are ways to tackle anxiety. As we know, anxiety leads to fight and flight. I covered this in the first part, that excessive adrenaline response, the sympathetic nervous system overworking, the sort of the dynamo brain. And this leads to breathing pattern disorder as well, contributing to breathlessness. And of course, it also leads to, as I mentioned earlier, sleep disturbance. We need to address anxiety. One way is by doing mindfulness. What is this? What is mindfulness? It's pretty common now. A lot of people are talking about it. Um, it is basically conscious awareness, being mindful, being aware of the moment now, not yesterday, not tomorrow, concentrating on now, today, um, but right now. Um, to help that, you could download the Headspace or Calm app onto your phone. Relatively cheap. Um, there are many studies that show that that a reduction in stress, anxiety through using mindfulness is demonstrated in those studies. Once daily, preferably twice, for 15-20 minutes. Doing mindfulness 
helps bring about changes. And as I said, those studies demonstrate this um, response to mindfulness. And this is backed up by MRI brain scan studies that show a difference between patients who do mindfulness compared with people, patients, people who don't do mindfulness. It's beneficial. MRI scan shows a difference. So as I say, once daily, preferably twice, maybe only for 15, 20 minutes. The studies show that that six weeks of doing mindfulness, 15, 20 minutes a day, will show a difference in your brain structure in the limbic system area. The limbic system, remember in part one, talked about the limbic system, the amygdala and the hippocampus. There are improvements uh, uh, in patients who do mindfulness. So that's mindfulness. What about other sort of techniques, mind-body techniques? Um, Again, also backed up by research studies. So mind-body techniques, thinking yoga, thinking chai chi, mind and body. These incorporate focus and calm, breath control, as well as physical effects, beneficial effects to coordination, core body strength, general body conditioning. So for anxiety, consider those sort of self-help mind-body strategies, mindfulness, yoga, tai chi. So having covered the self-help mental health approaches, now it's onto the assisted mental health approaches. Okay, assisted. Firstly, there's the NHS talking therapies. This is a program that delivers evidence-based, nice recommended, nice standing for National Institute of Clinical uh, and Health Excellence. So nice recommended psychological therapies for anxiety and depression. Talking therapies involve the patient and the therapist or practitioner working together as a team. Talking therapies are accessed directly or by self-referral, in other words, or by your GP or hospital specialist. Talking therapies are provided both face-to-face or via video or telephone. And they could be one-to-one or group. Talking therapies provide a range of options appropriate to specific mental health problems. These include counselling, psychotherapy, CBT, EMDR, MB, um, CT. And I'll explain all of these in a, a little bit more detail. So CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, aims to explore and change unhelpful patterns of thinking and behaviour. EMDR, so that stands for Eye Movement desensitization and reprocessing. This is especially good for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Remember what I said, you know, those patients who have been on ITU, for example, and have those traumatic memories embedded and recurring and waking up with nightmares over those memories. So EMDR is really good to help reprocess those memories of those traumatic and distressing events. 
So there's MBCT. It's all letters, isn't it? So mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. So I've talked about mindfulness already. So mindfulness, um, so combined with uh, CBT, um, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, combines the mindfulness techniques with breathing exercises and cognitive therapy for anxiety. And then finally, there's acceptance and commitment training, ACT, A-C-T. This aims to help acceptance of the current situation and set about a plan of action to commit to. So those are the the various assisted mental health approaches as opposed to self-help mental health approaches, the assisted mental health approaches, talking therapies. And now on to the pharmacological approaches. So first of all, herbal medicines. A lot of people try a herbal medicine before seeking medical advice, formal pharmacological um, medications from doctors. So first of all, herbal medicines. So these are not necessarily evidence-based and hence not in the conventional medic's eyes, not recommended. For some thing to be evidence-based, I mean, double-blind trials that have been taken uh, in large cohorts of patients, and that is patients that are divided into two, those that are treated with the herbal medicine versus patients who are treated with placebo. And then those studies are published in mainstream, respected mainstream journals. With all medicines, uh, we have to be careful that they don't clash with conventional medicines, leading to dangerous adverse effects. So patients claim effectiveness with ashwagandha, passionflower, lemon balm, uh, chamomile, valerian, or rescue remedy, flower essence. Patients use these and they find them effective. I'm not denying that. If they find them effective, that's excellent. Um, Other therapies that patients turn to for anxiety are um, acupuncture, TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, um, acupuncture, homeopathy, aromatherapy, reflexology. These are not evidence-based treatments, um, but patients find them beneficial. I mean, we can't stop patients choosing these options, and I respect those patients for choosing them, and if they're effective, that's fantastic. But we have to hope that they're choosing wisely, and they're checking the small print on the supplements and herbal medicines that they buy, and hopefully run it past their GP if they're not sure and stop them if they're not helping or causing any adverse effects. So that's the herbal supplement supplementation type, self-help. And then what about the prescribed medicines from your GP? The most commonly prescribed medicine for anxiety would be the SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake 
reuptake inhibitors. They have a license for generalized anxiety disorder. Um, certainly the isatalopram and paroxetine do. However, in practice, um, related SSRIs such as citalopram and sertraline are more commonly used off-license because they don't have that specific license. So they're used off-license for anxiety. I certainly used citalopram regularly for anxiety in general practice. And these work by increasing the the happy chemical serotonin, as I referred to it earlier, as in the brain. The other medicines that are used for anxiety are the SNRIs, the serotonin and adrenaline reuptake inhibitors, such as venlafaxine. This is licensed for panic disorder. Both are taken under the supervision of the GP. They can be discontinued when the time is right, uh, but the guide, but with the guidance of a GP, by slow, graduated reduction to prevent withdrawal effects. And then benzodiazepine, such as diazepam, Valium in the old days, um, should only be used in extreme acute anxiety, not sort of a long ongoing long-term anxiety chronic anxiety because it is addictive and it becomes a le- less effective if it is used long term and then you become dependent on it so as i say it is prescribed acutely for the acute anxiety attack for example and so those are the medications both herbal and pharmaceutical that are taken by patients to target worries, mood and anxiety in long COVID. And so what else can we do to help the recovery from long COVID? Uh, I I think that we must take the whole person, the holistic view into account. We need to think about other aspects of the whole person, the general, general aspects of health. And that would be nutrition, sleep and mind-body. So nutrition, our diet, it's we should be preferably having a mixed balanced diet, the Mediterranean diet, that contains all the necessary minerals and vitamins, the building blocks of for cellular and tissue repair, as well as the anti-inflammatory antioxidants, the polyphenols, as well as prebiotic fibre to nourish the microbiota, the friendly gut bacteria. I mentioned this in part one. I know um, I cover this more formally in my long COVID gut presentation. A healthy gut flora is so important for immune support, production of vitamins and hormones and neurotransmitter chemicals. But along with that mixed balanced diet, we ought to be including um, fatty fish, fatty oily fish on a regular basis because they contain the omega-3 fish oils, which are essential fatty acids for immune support. And finally, vitamin D for good measure. We live high up in the northern hemisphere, so we're relatively 
UV um, starved, um, especially in the winter months. So why not take a vitamin D supplement? And indeed, that's what I do. I take vitamin D. I also take a omega-3 uh, fish oil capsule once a day. Yes, my wife and I eat fish on a regular basis, but belt and braces, why not have it? Uh, you can supplement with it as as well for its uh, its uh, immune supportive um, functions. Plus, it's an anti-inflammatory. It has anti-inflammatory functions. Plus, also, it is said to be cardioprotective. So that's the diet dealt with. Um, then there's sleep. You know, we ought to be looking at and and making sure that we have good, refreshing sleep because. The function of sleep, after all, is refresh and repair. We need to support the day-night cycle, the circadian rhythm, for release of those various restorative hormones, such as growth hormone. We've got to be thinking about sleep hygiene, a strict bedtime, uh, a regular getting up in the morning time, um, uh, no mobiles or screens, um, within an hour of turning the light off because we know that they emit blue light, which is arousing, not relaxing pink light. Um, then there's pyroton. You could take pyroton to help sort of encourage you to get to sleep. Likewise, magnesium studies have shown that that's helpful. And likewise, melatonin. All these can help you get off to sleep. I covered this more in my, in my presentation on sleep disturbance in long COVID. And then mind-body. I talked about mind-body earlier with mindfulness and and um, uh, yoga and tai chi, mind-body techniques. And uh, I did. I mentioned uh, that how effective they are, at, and uh, and backed up by research studies. So finally, as part of the whole long COVID management, we must apply the fatigue management strategies such as planning, pacing, and, and, and prioritizing. Pacing, the process of balancing activity, that's mental, physical, and emotional, with rest. Pacing gives you awareness of limitations. Knowing your limitations, knowing your baseline, to work to, uh, but not beyond, not too much, not too little. So you can plan how you use your energy most effectively, most efficiently. Pacing means no more pushing through. It's stop, that's enough. I covered this more fully in my talk on long COVID fatigue. So apart from all those strategies and those self-help and assisted help and pharmacological and herbal, then there are other sort of resources, trusted resources for long COVID recovery. And the two that I think are especially good are your COVID recovery, the NHS England website, self-help patient resource for symptoms, information and self-management of long COVID. And then the Royal College of Occupational Therapists have a number of resources that are particularly helpful for recovery from long COVID, particularly fatigue. And so that concludes the second part of my talk on anxiety with long COVID, following on from the first part earlier. I hope you found them both really helpful. So check out the references and resources and links to social media 
um, in the show notes below. So as I mentioned at the start, any advice, diagnoses, treatments that I mention should only be considered after a discussion with your own GP or qualified health professional. So in the meantime, I wish you well with your long COVID recovery. Cheerio. Cheerio.